pipes are calling, but today they're calling from New York to Vermont and down to County Clare, Ireland. Hi, welcome to Episode 5 of the Dancing at the Crossroads podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ferguson, and today we're going to do a bit of traveling. We're on a quest to understand one of the most awe-inspiring, and many would say complicated, instruments in Irish music, the Illin Pipes. Even if you've never heard of the Illin Pipes, there's a very good chance you've heard them being played, and even enjoyed them. That's because they've been woven into the emotional fabric of Hollywood blockbusters like Titanic and, anachronistically, Braveheart, despite the fact that the instrument is Irish, not Scottish, and wasn't invented for hundreds of years after William Wallace trod the Highlands. I came back home to raise crops and, God willing, a family. So you want me to marry you then? Well, it's a bit sudden, but all right. The Illin Pipes' allure is nothing new. They've drawn sympathetic ears for centuries. But what makes them so special? Pipers say it's the way the instrument conveys emotion. Benedict Kohler, an Illin Piper and pipe maker, explains it this way. There are certain instruments that you, you hear and you feel like you're listening to a voice. For me, the cello is one of those. The violin, to perhaps slightly lesser extent than the cello. Um, but the pipes chatter to me is very much a voice. It's not, I mean, the cello or the flute can sound almost like a human voice, and the, the chatter is not a human voice, but it's very much a voice. And that, I think, is the, the, the central attraction. Piping teacher Fiacra O'Regan, in describing the style of mentor Sean McKiernan and McKiernan's mentors, legends Patsy Tui and Willie Clancy, explains that the emotional power of the instrument transcends mere technique. It's, I think especially in, in Sean's playing, it's a sense of rhythm. It kind of sways in and out of what, what you would know as, as the beat. So it's a real solo style of playing, but when you get in on it, it's just incredible. So very, very complex stuff and incredible stuff. And then his finger work as well. Um, Sean McKiernan plays Patsy Tui's pipes. Um, Patsy Tui is a, one of the first people to commercially record Illin pipes. I think he makes these wax cylinders to order and send them out to people. Um, so Sean has a lot of his characteristics, but also characteristics from Willie Francis playing. Willie was a good friend of Sean's. So a lot of different different uh, influences. But yeah, it's hard to kind of pin down that style, but it's it's very musical and very... That's maybe the reason it's hard to pin it down. It's not really about the technique. There's lots of technique in it, but it's it's kind of soul music. It's, it's unexplainable, kind of, yeah. There's something very deep about it, yeah. One of the most intriguing aspects of the Illin Pipes is that they allow pipers to accompany themselves. If you didn't know better, you might think that there are two or three performers on stage. So they are um, quite, but yeah, because of that, they're a solo instrument, so they developed with all this accompaniment as well. It's kind of like a one-man band in a way. Yeah. Here's Fiacra performing live at the Northeast Tienol, an annual gathering of pipers in East Germany, New York at Gavin's Irish Country Inn. 
before we go any further, it might be helpful to describe what a set of Illin pipes looks like. I'm tempted to say that it looks like a black and green leather squid wrapped around somebody's waist, but that probably doesn't help. So let me have Fiocra run through the basics for you. So basically I have, you've got a bellows under one arm. Um, I know nobody's seeing any of this, but you, yeah, on, under one arm, you've got a bellows strapped on around your waist and you've also got your elbow strapped into it. So you're using your elbow and Illin is the Irish word for the elbow. So that's where the, the name comes from. Um, and when you pump with your elbow, then there's a blowpipe going across your, in front of your belly and that fills up the bag, which is under the other arm. So you're pumping with, with one arm and then you're just keeping steady pressure with the other arm and controlling the amount of pressure that you're blowing through the pipes. So then the bag has a long neck out of the front of which is the chanter and the chanter is the most important part that plays the melody and that's where one of the reeds sit and uh, on its own that sounds like this so so the chanter has just over two octaves um, it goes from it's, uh, it's in concert pitch normally so the bottom note d up to the third d actually they've got three d's and everything in between so um non-chromatic um, and then after that you've got coming out of another hole in the bag is what we call the main stock and that's basically a, a wooden cylinder or sometimes a metal cylinder which um, distributes the rest of the air down through three drones which are just single cane reeds, uh, quill reeds and they're just three octaves of the tonic note so the bass, the baritone, the tenor drone and they're just there's a little switch you just use to shut the air on or off and that's that's all they do they just they stay on or off there's no no messing with those really you just got to pump a bit more air um to, to keep them blowing so so you heard me there shutting them off one by one but they you play all three together generally so that's the drones and then the last thing you have the island pipes which are the i think the only kind of bagpipe of the hundreds that i know about that have these they're called the regulators so there are three more pipes with a double reed each and again, there's the bass, baritone, and tenor. And they have uh, keys which are closed by a spring and the ends of the pipes are stopped. So by nature, the air doesn't blow through them. But when you hit them with either your thumb or your wrist while you're playing the chanter, uh, you can you can hit kind of a basic uh, sequence of chords or you can hit rhythms as well to kind of give yourself a compliment. So um, they sound like this. <laughs> So that's the regulators and then that all of that together those three elements is kind of what makes up the Ellen pipes uh, a beast of an instrument <laughs> it's amazing that i was listening last night you know to make you can make it sort of sound like there's three instruments going at once or three yeah it really is and i think it was developed as a solo instrument i mean another thing i often hear from people is oh that when i saw you coming at the bagpipes i thought it was going to be loud like they're, they're thinking of the highlands pipes the scottish pipes and they say oh they're a much nicer instrument but really they're developed for different things. The Scottish Highland Pipes are developed for playing outdoors for a start in bands and often as a military instrument to intimidate. That, that was their purpose. And they're every bit as powerful, I think, emotionally. I think they're an amazing instrument, but they're not really made for sitting in a room and playing solo. And the pipes were. The pipes were played um, in kind of patrons' houses, on big houses and in the old times in Ireland. Um, the pipers would be, uh, you know, they'd be accommodated and fed and they kind of kept kept well um, for playing pipes for, for the wealthy people. So that was how the instrument developed. Yeah. The Illin pipes are, as you might guess, not an easy instrument to play. Most pipers will, without any false modesty, tell you that it can take more than a decade to have any sense of mastery. Colleen Shanks, a third-generation Irish-American native of the Detroit area, picked up her first set of Illin pipes 20 years ago 
and moved to Ireland three years ago in part to concentrate on her music. I have to count years into the future because I'm I'm still learning. I'm still I'm still working on stuff that, you know, like I, I, I just enjoy playing them for the fun of playing and and to play in sessions. You know, like I never really consider myself a, a performer or something like that. So I think for me, there's no there's no finish line. It will always keep getting progressively farther away. The more that I, am able to learn and feel comfortable you know, with what, with what I can play. Um, but I'd say like, it's so, cause it, cause my learning sort of got broken in half. There was, you know, starting out at 16, I was learning from a, a, a really awesome guy, Al Purcell, who was from Dublin. He was living in Detroit for a long time and he taught lots of the pipers in Detroit and, and beyond as well. Um, so I had, you know, like my, my very beginnings, how to hold the instrument, how to play a scale, how to play some some basic tunes and and you know other guidance like that, and then um, kind of after that there wasn't there wasn't much learning. I was learning tunes, but I wasn't learning a lot of technique. And then three years ago, I came to Ireland to go to the University of Limerick, where I studied um, in their master's degree program for traditional music performance, and my focus was pipes. So I had like one year of just focused learning on pipes with multiple instructors so it was you know it was it was overwhelming it was a lot to learn so I, I guess I, I guess you could say in all that time I was still learning but it was kind of broken in half I don't know I don't know that's a hard question to answer because I don't know if I I feel I've even mastered them I play them but I don't, I don't know if I mastered them the hardest part of learning the ill and pipes comes at the beginning I have to say I, I think the instrument the, the sort of legendary difficulty of the instrument is is over overstated. There's a lot that you have to learn. I mean, if if you look at the fiddle, um, I think that you've got a learning curve, which is just a never-ending gentle uphill climb. With the pipes, before you can actually make any sound at all, you have to get a bunch of stuff under under control. So it's it's not so much a learning curve as a learning cliff. When you get to the top of the immediate cliff, it's really much easier going than a lot of people would imagine. Um, and as proof of this, I would say I do not play the fiddle. I own a fiddle. It it hangs on the wall of my shop, and once every six months or so. Um, I start to think, well, it can't possibly be as difficult to play a fiddle as I remember it being last time I tried. And I, and I take the fiddle down, and you know what? It's every bit as difficult as I remembered. So it goes back on the wall for another six months. Uh, I have to say, I think the fiddle is a significantly more difficult instrument than the pipes. The, the peculiar thing about the pipes, a lot of people say that they must be the hardest instrument in the world to play. And I think I disagree with that there. Yeah, the coordination at the beginning is tricky, but once you get all that out of the way, they're not so bad. But what's hard really is that when you're a piper, you have to maintain them all the time. There's seven reeds in a set of villain pipes, four of them which are double reeds, a bit like what you get in an oboe, except because you're not blowing with your mouth, they're dry reeds. So keeping those all in order, I mean, they're at the mercy of whatever humidity and temperature the room is that you're in, so they change all the time. Even you'll find when you strap on the pipes and play, after five minutes, you often have to retune because they've warmed up to the room. It's only after learning the pipes that you can even attempt another craft if you're up to it, making illin pipes. It requires metalworking, leatherworking, and woodworking. 
and, of course, music. The, the thing is, you don't really have to be all that good at almost any of the skills uh, to make a working set of pipes. Um, you have to be a sort of minimally competent leather worker, woodworker, metal worker. But players will forgive an instrument which is not cosmetically perfect as long as it plays well. To that end, I would say that the reed-making aspect of the, of the trade is by far the most important. I frequently have uh, people come up to me and say, gosh, you know, I've been thinking I'd love to try my hand at, at making pipes. And they want to talk about what kind of lathe should I get and what should I be, what kind of timber should I be investing in and where do I get this tool or that tool. And I always say, look, you're putting the cart before the horse. If you want to make pipes, and, and this is not what people want to hear, but if you want to make pipes, the first thing you need to do is be a reasonably good piper. You don't have to be fabulous, but you have to be reasonably competent because otherwise you won't know whether the thing that you have just made is any good. Um, and you have to be a, a, a thoroughly competent reed maker because otherwise you're just making objects that look like a set of pipes without, you know, it's the body without any soul in it. it, it it's just a, a decorative object if it doesn't have decent reeds in it. There is one aspect about playing the Illuminate pipes that has gotten easier, getting lessons. Nowadays, there are plenty of piping classes and workshops like the TNL, resources like the Peabury Illin, the Dublin-based nonprofit that promotes Illin piping, and lessons over Skype. That wasn't always the case. So there was no, there were no teachers living near me. There's a couple of great pipers from Connemara, from where I'm from, um, just across the bay in Karna. Uh, Sean McKiernan is one of them. Who's actually this is his old set of pipes I'm playing here today, uh, and he's an amazing piper, one of, of the really old style, a style that's. Um, almost gone away today I think in my opinion um, and then another lovely piper who passed away a couple of years ago um, Tommy Canavan or Tommaso Canavan um, his brother is still around a lovely flute player that I'm good friends with so they, they were around but um, they wouldn't be in a position they didn't want to give like formal week to week lessons having said that Sean uh, was a great mentor to me I'd go down to visit him and he'd play me old recordings from wax cylinders and stuff from private collections and uh, he'd play for me and I'd play for him and we'd listen to music for hours so he really did shape my playing I think in a lot of ways much more than I appreciated at, at that young age at the time uh, and Tommy also I got out of great great meetings with Tommy and Porrick his brother so they were a big part of my of my music world but as I said not for formal lessons so I went to Tommy Keane in um, in Oran Moor in Mary near Oran Moor for, for pipe lessons but it was two hours drive from where I lived so I didn't keep it up that long. Um, I go into him every two weeks, and I think I did that for a bit under a year. But I was in secondary school at the time, studying for the leaving cert and stuff, so it was just a bit much. So I stopped going. And then briefly, um, Galway City, there's a music school that opened up that Mick Cream was responsible for, and Eamon Brophy taught me pipes there, for again, for a short while. Um, so really, and then after that, I didn't have any local private lessons. So everything I got was that basically my mother bringing me to all these summer schools that I mentioned, and. I'd pick up and record as much stuff as I could during the summer and then use that as material for the rest of the winter then, you know. So um, really it was kind of, it's interesting because people said, oh, it's tough, like you were isolated as a piper, you didn't have, um, like if you're up in Dublin, you have the Pipers Club who have regular activities and weekly lessons and gatherings, things like that. I didn't have any of that, but at the same time, 
the way I look at it was great in a way because rather than uh, learning from one person and sort of mimicking what they're doing or, or you know taking a lot of influence from one piper it it meant that I because I had to go around to all these things I got a taste of all the pipers in Ireland so I'd have amazing quality tutors like Mick O'Brien who's here today um this weekend and uh people yeah Mick O'Brien David Power um you name them all of them at some point that they're they're teaching at these summer schools so you get a taste of all these different styles and different backgrounds and you can kind of draw from different ones and maybe it's easier to create your own style by doing that I'm not sure but it's nice anyway to get a taste of many different styles rather than just one you know I think yeah Benedict Kohler had to search for teachers as well I'm thinking I was maybe 27 around about that age I came across a fellow named David Quinn who was living in Vermont at that time and was making Ellen pipes so I got him to make me a, a half set of pipes and started trying to learn how to play um, at that time we didn't have the internet or any anything that 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 the younger crowd has now so uh, finding other pipers and there weren't that many of us it was it was tough you know it was practically like you had to build a fire and start sending up smoke signals and and hope that that maybe some other piper somewhere would 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 respond but i i did I did get um, sort of into the what network there was at the time, and got a chance to hear other other people who were farther along than I was. Um, three of the leading American players of that time were uh, Tim Britton in or from Philadelphia, and Jerry O'Sullivan uh, in New York, and Bill Ox also in New York, and. Um, so I initially got lessons uh, from David Quinn, the man who made my first set of pipes. Uh, he showed me the basic um, scale on the pipes and showed me the kind of bedrock ornamentation. And he gave me a stack of uh, cassette tapes, um, mostly copies of uh, old 78s and wax cylinders of the, you know, the, the sort of the piping archive people like uh, Dini Delaney from Ballinasloe and uh, Mickey Kumba from Kerry and a lot of really pretty scratchy old stuff like that. And he said, okay, uh, go and listen to this and um, I, uh, don't, don't come back for <laughs> quite a while. So I, I guess basically I, I would say he kind of pointed me in what he felt to be the right direction and gave me a, a gentle push. And yeah, as I say, back then, most people who were learning to play were doing it largely on their own. So I did get a chance to get some lessons with Tim Britton and later on with uh, Jerry O'Sullivan, valuable uh, contact with Tom Cregan and also... Um, with Matty Connolly in New York, another um, Irish-born uh, piper who was also very much an exponent of Leo Rosen's uh, playing. And really, to be honest, I would say, I would hope, um, and I, I really think that I learned and continue to learn something from every piper I hear. Uh, but that was very much the case back in the in the early days. The single biggest influence by far on me 
was contact with, with Liam O'Flynn, who very, very kindly gave me a, a lesson at exactly the right time when I'd been playing for, oh, maybe two years or so. And the instruction that he gave me on that occasion, and I've been lucky enough to spend time with him on several occasions since then, I cannot overstate the importance of what he gave me, an extremely generous uh, and perceptive teacher whose playing I, I admire enormously. Um, it's a, a great loss. Uh, Liam passed away about a year and a half ago, and it was a huge loss to to piping and to uh, Irish music uh, generally, and I, I feel that I owe him a huge, huge debt. One thing that's often missing in the discussion of Illin piping, women pipers. There's nothing particularly masculine or feminine about Illin pipes, but just the same, women pipers seem to have been a relative rarity until recent times. Cara Doyle, an Illin piper who hosts a women-only pipers gathering during the Tienal, explains. In the early 20th century, you had the Cork Pipers Club. Uh, they were very encouraging to women in piping. And so in Cork in particular, there have always been a few um, there are a couple of really famous ones from right around the t turn of the 20th century, so Anna Berry and Mrs. Murphy. Um, but, uh, you know, I think in some ways it's the instrument is expensive, uh, and uh, of course there weren't a lot of women playing Irish music for a while in the 20th century because the Irish Constitution basically said, well, women's place is in the home. And so they might have been they might have been musicians, but once they got married, they were having children, and they didn't have as much time for the music. Um, at least that's you know when I talk to other people about it, that seems to be the sort of standard explanation. Um, then when the Illin pipes had uh, started to climb its way back from uh, from near extinction, actually in the 50s and 60s, and even in the 70s, there were very few people making the instrument, being able to maintain the instrument. So. Uh, piping as a whole, regardless of gender, was sort of on the ropes, and that's when NPU, Napibri Illin, was formed. That's the Irish piping organization. Um, and they started working to preserve knowledge about the instrument, et cetera, um, the playing, the reed making, the actual repair and upkeep of the instrument. And so for the last 50 years, they've been working to uh, spread knowledge about uh, about the pipes, and I would say in the last 15 years they've made a concerted effort to uh, include pictures of women pipers and girls piping in all their publications. 
you go to Willy Week in, uh, in uh, Milltown Malbay now, and there's lots of little girls and young women carrying pipe cases around. It's really encouraging. So I think it's a combination of, you know, just a shift in gender roles on the whole, but also uh, just uh, the availability of the instruments and the availability of tuition and um, sort of a, a greater, this is sort of a golden age for the pipes, I would say. Uh, so we're lucky to be part of that. When I first had the idea to get the women pipers together, uh, it was mostly because I knew I was going to be rushing all over the place as you know part of directing the event, and uh, I wasn't going to have time to get to know people. And I knew from looking at the registration sheet, oh, we have four or five women pipers here this year. And, um, you know, female pipers. There are more and more of us, but uh, you, it's still easy to feel like a unicorn, you know. And so. Um, I, I just wanted a chance to sit down and chat with the other unicorns for an hour. No, if, you, if, if you can lead, I'll try no, to No, I'm not going to, I didn't, didn't want to play it here. Which one is Maybe the judge here. I'm not sure lead. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I can make a recording. I've got some big jig. I've got some big jig. I have a big jig project going well. This guy is in a session I go to, and that's like his his big jig. His big jig, and I have come to hate that too. He sits there, and he's like, he's about six six, and he's got an accordion the size of a size of a bathroom fish. And you feel like he's That's the thing. Do you I, I just have to laugh because he's just enjoying himself so much. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. there's a, there's there a great are. joy in that too. <laughs> there is exactly. If I don't feel like playing, <laughs> we had so much fun that we made it sort of an annual thing. And over the years, uh, as more women have started to play the pipes, or as women in other areas of the country who play the pipes have heard about it, they've come to the Northeast Chenoll, and uh, it's gotten bigger and bigger. So this year. We had, uh, I think, 17 of us, uh, and we've been as high as 20 uh, in a good year, which is, you know, it's a bigger and bigger percentage of the, of the piping population, so yeah, we're on our way up. And that'll nearly do it for this episode of the Dancing at the Crossroads podcast. Before we go, though, just a few programming notes. We started off with Pat Smith singing Danny Boy in a recording by Ed Mullen at Mountain Spring Hotel in 1958 in East Durham, New York. We then heard Eric Riegler playing the Illin Pipes on the soundtrack to Braveheart. Amanon Knick was performed separately by Ilsa de Zion on cello and Benedict Kohler on Illin Pipes. Sean McKiernan played on Ireland's Channel TG4 and Fiacre O'Regan played at the Northeast Tienal 2018 at Gavin's Irish Country Inn in East Durham. We also heard the earliest known recording of the Illin Pipes a wax cylinder recording of Mickey Kumba O'Sullivan playing Eamon on Knick in 1899. Thanks to the Irish Traditional Music Archive in Dublin for that. Liam O'Flynn played Schlieb Naman off the 1995 album The Piper's Call. 
Thanks to Cara Doyle for the interview and for letting us sit in on her class. Also thanks to Fiocro O'Regan for speaking to us at the TNL, Benedict Kohler for speaking to us from his workshop and home in Vermont, Colleen Shanks for speaking to us from her home in Ennis, County Clare, Ireland, and finally, thanks to Bernadette Gavin Palmieri for accommodating us at Gavin's.